Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Damien. Howdy. Welcome back. Cheers. Today's topic, Howard the Duck, the first Marvel Comics movie. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. We both re-watched the movie for this review. When did you first watch it? I would have been... 15 in 1987 it would have been at home on vhs wow so that's the following years this came out in 86 it came out in 86 i'm pretty sure it didn't if it did get a cinematic release here it was very short-lived um but yeah didn't didn't see it at the movies saw it at home i'd have seen it on tv my memory my only real memory before watching it again was the duck in the bath with boobs. A weird memory to have from childhood, but that always struck me as odd. See, it's a movie that I've not been back and revisited until now. Now, there was a different cut of the movie that was available that brought it down to a PG rating, and they edited out some of the scenes. If that scene stuck in your head, then that wasn't cut out. Of the version that you saw. I'd watched it on TV and I've got the Blu-ray, the Australian release, and it's a PG. Yeah. And it's still got that scene in it. Still got it. So I was waiting for it and there it was. Feathered covered boobs is PG. Yeah. Apparently. I mean, we'll get into it, but Howard is a big pervert (laughs) in in the whole movie. (laughs) Okay. I said in the opening there, Marvel Comics first movie. If we're going to be technical, he isn't actually the first Marvel character to have a full-length movie. That honour belongs to Conan the Barbarian. Yes. Yep. Who also had a best-selling comic book series by Marvel, and his movie came out in 82. We've reviewed that previously on the show. So I guess you could say that Conan is the first Marvel movie, but it wasn't an original creation like Howard. So let's stick with Howard. Let's stick with Howard. The first live-action Marvel Comics movie, and there's going to be so many people out there that aren't aware of that fact. And maybe that's a good thing. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) In the comics, then, his first appearance, How the Duck was created by writer Steve Gerber and artist Val Myrick. The character first appeared in Adventure into Fear, issue 19, back in 1973. The cover date was December. The most common tagline of his comics reads, Trapped in a world he never made. Which I like. Are you familiar with the comics at all? I'm familiar with them, but I haven't read any of them. I read one the other day. Marvel and DC are doing reprints at the moment of some of the key issues. And here in Australia, Collector's Own in Clarkson, they had a selection. One of them being Howard. So I went and bought it and read it. Interestingly, Spider-Man's quite prominent in the story. So whether they were counting on Spider-Man to help sell this comic, I'm not sure. But present in the issue, you've got Howard, you've got Beverly, and there's a barbarian storyline. So you've got Howard gets transported to another world. He's dressed similar to Conan. He's got the sword. It's odd. The whole thing's odd, but... Howard in that comic is not Howard in this movie. Okay, how's he portrayed in the comic? Very obnoxious, he's sarcastic, he's 
it's just different. Like we're getting a kid friendly version of Howard in this movie. Okay. I think. Okay. Did you hear about the legal dispute with Disney, the comparisons of Howard and Donald Duck? I did, yes. If you're unfamiliar, Disney objected on the grounds that Howard looked very similar to Donald and almost sued Marvel before giving them a chance to redesign the character. Not only does he get to wear slacks now, but his forehead and beak are generally shaped differently. Yes. So they had to make certain changes because until then it looked like how oh, Donald getting Duck. mixed up. It looked like Donald Duck smoking a cigar. Disney don't want that. No. The screenplay was originally intended to be an animated film, but the film adaption became live action because of a contractual obligation. I'm not sure if that's the production company or if that's George Lucas himself. So George Lucas is attached as a producer. And originally, this was going to be animated and more in line with the source material. But okay. they owed a live action movie and Howard the Duck became live action. George Lucas proposed adapting the comic book following the production of American Graffiti, the movie he made in 73. That's, what, three years, four years before Star Wars? Yes. After multiple production difficulties and mixed response to test screenings, Howard the Duck was released in cinemas 1986. So this was, before we even got to see it, was problematic. Upon its release, the film was a critical and commercial failure and in the years since was considered one of the worst films of all time. Now that statement is pretty bold, but I also think very accurate. It was nominated for seven Razzie Awards, winning four. Despite the criticism, it has gained a cult following among fans of the comic book series. Howard the Duck in the movie was portrayed by Ed Gale and voiced by Chip Zine, and was later voiced by Seth Green in the films Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which are both set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the character also makes a non-speaking cameo appearance in Avengers Endgame, which I miss completely. But when I watch the movie again, I will be looking out for Howard. It's, I didn't know Howard was there. It's the portal scene. Okay. That's where, that's where he, he, rocks he up. turns up. Which is appropriate considering how he arrives on Earth in this 1986 film. It is. Portal. Well, that's, that's exactly right. Only in this movie, he's riding a couch or an armchair, should I say. Uh, on TV, though, and then we'll get into the movie, Hulu will air an animated series written and executive produced by Kevin Smith and Dave Willis. Howard will team up with Modoc, Hitmonkey, Tiger and Dazzler in the animated The Offenders special. Just a special? Just a one-off special. So I guess it's, you know, Netflix had their characters come together in The Defenders, this animated spoof comedy, The Offenders. Now, it sounds like it could be a lot of fun. And Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith. I'll, yeah. I'll, watch, I'll watch it. I'll, I'll watch all of these. And, um, and no doubt we'll get back together again at some point and talk about them. So the Howard the Duck movie then. Howard is suddenly beamed from Duckworld, a planet of intelligent ducks with arms and legs, to Earth, where he lands in Cleveland. There he saves Rocker Beverly, played by Leah Thompson, from thugs and forms a friendship with her. She introduces him to Phil, played by Tim Robbins, 
who works at a lab with scientist Dr. Jenning, played by Jeffrey Jones. When the Doctor attempts to return Howard to his world, Jenning instead transfers an evil spirit into his own body. We've talked about the failings at the box office. This movie had a budget of 37 million. 38 million <laughs> at the box office. I mean, that's a profit, right? A million dollars? Maybe they'd have picked up more from VHS DVD sales, soundtrack, I don't know, <laughs> wherever it's, it can help. It's a, it's considered not a loss, isn't it? If you look at the figures, it's it's not a loss, but it's not it's not a great profit. It's not, but if, if you're going from Howard the Duck to Avengers Endgame, which is now the highest grossing movie of all time, yeah, it's a wide margin. It is huge. Due to the movie's disastrous box office performance domestically, the title was changed to Howard, A New Breed of Hero for its release outside the US. But that's how I must have got it in the UK. I don't remember. I remember being Howard the Duck here, like on the cover of the, the VHS. And the one that I have on DVD, that is also just Howard the, Howard the Duck. That subtitle, A New Breed of Hero, stands out to me. So I think maybe that's, that's how I got to watch it. We can go through... Actors, performances, good or bad. I guess we can we can talk about it. Uh, Chip Zine, I'm not familiar with this guy's work outside of this movie, but he was the voice of Howard. And as I mentioned earlier, Ed Gale, primarily he's the guy in the suit. I think they tried different people and maybe more than one person contributed. I think about eight people tried the suit. Okay, um, well, there I, we go. I read somewhere that they initially wanted a child to, to do the performance, but a child was not capable of doing the stunts and the act, the acting that was required. So um, Ed Gale ended up being predominantly in, in the suit. And he's he's the one that gets credit. He is. Yeah, he gets sole credit for being Howard in the suit. In the, he does. But I think even by 1986 standards, you couldn't have a kid in that suit. No, he, he, a kid, no matter how good they were... They wouldn't be able to do the subtle things that he did. I don't just mean that. I mean, having a child like trapped in this suit for like hours at a time. Mm. But you're right, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's doing what he's doing. I mean, it's, it's an odd-looking suit, but they did it build is, it. You've got to credit him for it's, that. It's a $2 million suit, according to yeah. George Lucas. Which is expensive. You know, when doing research for this, I was look, looking up at images, and you can see the suit laid out on the floor in a picture and it's downright disturbing. <laughs> it's like, it's the head, the hands, the feet. So through, through the film, if we're talking of the performance of the duck. Yeah. They used the suit, an actor in a suit and they used the puppet. Right. So okay. animatronics as well. Were you, were you acutely aware of the difference in um, the scenes? I wasn't watching out for it, to be honest. Did you, did scenes jump out at you as being there, different? There, definitely there's a scene where they, um, start taking his clothes off and he's all right skinny. okay he's yeah all, he's much skinnier than, yeah, yeah that's right yeah. yeah and then he's quite he's quite he's quite rotund. yes when he's yes. when he's got his got his clothes on i did like the i thought the puppetry with the mouth in line with the dialogue they nailed that when he was talking like he didn't look it wasn't like he was watching a foreign language movie no. where the mouth was moving it, different it to was the in sync audio it was in sync for the most part for sure Let's talk about Beverly Switzler. Leah Thompson. So this is a year after she did Back to the Future. It's funny because when you look up the film on IMDb for How the Duck, 
the the first image you see is of Leah Thompson and Michael J. Fox. It's actually right. a scene from Back to yep. the Future, not Howard the Duck in the, in the thing. I think I remember at the time that I liked her in Back to the Future and I thought her performance in Howard the Duck wasn't as good as she's capable of, of producing. I thought she struggled sometimes to act alongside a man in a suit. I think all these years later, from what I've read, she looks back on the movie, the experience more fondly, but I don't think she liked the movie at the time. No, at the time, wasn't enjoying herself. Maybe that came across, maybe. What did you think of her performance? I thought she was fine. For what it is. I thought she was fine. Yeah, I mean, this movie in general, you, you kind of got to... I think for the type of movie that it is, I think she's fine. It's very much of its time. It's very much an 80s film and feels like an 80s film. Her performance is matching her surroundings. Yes. Let's say that. Yep. Tim Robbins, quite a surprise to see him in this as a kooky scientist. Often, you know, he's, he's wearing his glasses diagonal, you know, to show that he's a kooky scientist. I think this might have been the very first film I saw Tim Robbins in. And not long after that, would have seen him in films like The Cadillac Man alongside Robin Williams, where he plays another sort of zany, wacky, goofball. Um, but then, of course, later on, went to see him in things like um, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. That's, that's to, a big one. I'm trying to think of another one. Jacob's Ladder, I think yeah, he was in. Yeah, that's another one. Phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. performance in that. But, I'm trying to think of other things that he's doing that I can't get past Nothing to Lose. Okay. It's him and Martin Lawrence. Yeah, I used to watch that movie quite a lot. What but did you think? You know, what do you think of Tim? In yeah, this? I think he's. I think he's fine. You know, he's not. He's, he's not bad. He's enjoying himself. He's he's laying it on pretty thick. He's, some of the the jokes fall flat, and some of them land quite well. It just seems everybody in this movie knows the type of movie they're making. Mm. And they're not. They're not taking it too seriously at all. They're not. No, I think you know we've talked about. Howard's appearance is in the MCU. I think if we were to ever get another Howard the Duck movie, tonally, it wouldn't be this. No. And therefore, I think the actors would lift the game and it would be a completely different thing. So let's speculate on that. If they made a live-action Howard film today, what what tone do you think we'd see it in? I think it'd be more like... Guardians? The, the comic, yeah. Guardians, it'd be, you know, the little snippets we've had of him in those movies, more... Wise cracking, he's got the cigar, he's drinking alcohol. Uh, he's, he'd be, he'd, I think they'd play it more of like an anti-hero maybe. Like he'd, he'd do the right thing, but by trying to achieve his own personal goals, you know, he'd, he'd end up saving the day, but it'd be a byproduct of something he was doing for himself. Yeah. How would a scene between Rocket and Howard go down, do you think? Oh, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see that. I mean, before going into the galaxy, the idea of having a talking raccoon in a movie... Sounds crazy. It does sound crazy. Yeah, it works. And the glimpses that we've seen of Seth Green as Howard, it, it does work. If they weren't doing this Hulu series, maybe they'd have got to it eventually. Or maybe just like the Guardians movies have done previously, it'll pop up there. Well, what about potential for the Disney streaming channel? Yeah, maybe. You know that. what? Yeah, that's probably mm. where you'd most likely see him. Maybe like Disney Plus, they'll start doing something. You know, we've got the What If series, which is animated. 
maybe they'll put together a live action anthology series where he's, it'll be like one and done, 20 minute episodes, half an hour, over long. Yeah. Where it'll just focus on a different character, maybe eight episodes per season. And that's where you get a live action How the Duck. And I'm pretty sure, don't want to speak for him, but <laughs> Seth Green would, would do it. He'd be up for it. Yeah. One more person I want to talk about, Jeffrey Jones as Dr. Walter Jennings. But then we'd later see him be the bad guy of the movie. But it's not really him. No, he's, he's been taken over by yeah. the Overlord. Yeah, the evil Overlord, who is based on the Marvel villain who originally brought Howard to Earth. So this is in the comics. His full title in the comics is Thog, the Netherspawn, Overmaster of Sominus. They didn't go that way. <laughs> they they, just, went they shortened the it. The evil Overlord. There is a scene towards the end where that we can see on the control panel when they're trying to dial down more overlords, and right. they, it actually reads um, the galaxy Sominus. Right, okay. It actually shows that's where they're pulling them from. Oh, well, that's so cool. So there is a nod I to it. I missed that. Yep. Okay. But uh, Jeffrey Jones, I know him primarily from Beetlejuice, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He he was probably most valuable player maybe in the film for me. Yeah, and when they really like turn up the effects, and he's got the he looks like like stop motion effect, doesn't it? You know when he's got the large tentacle tongue coming Recharging. out, recharging. Yeah, so it it looks like it's stop motion. I'm not quite sure how they achieve that, or whether it's a it, looked, it was a puppet and I think they it was dig- puppet. and it they was... digitally manipulated the footage. Uh, it was puppeteered. It was a, it was a mashup of two different things because there was. It cuts and it's quite obviously not his actual real head anymore, and there's a there's like an, a prosthetic head with a thing protruding out, and then it cuts back to his real head, and it's like a rubber thing hanging out of his mouth. Similar to the banister effect in Beetlejuice, then probably where like, where the head of Beetlejuice no longer resembled Michael Keaton; <laughs> it was just an effect. Yeah. Okay. It was a proxy, but a, a bad one. Yeah, but he's he's essentially the big bad, and you know he he, he does a good job. He does. I mean, the whole thing in the diner and he's, yeah, I don't know, you got the diner scene and he's, that's when you really start to see him take an evil turn and they're fully clued in on what's going on with him. Do you think, because he, he, he alters his voice when the Overlord's taking over, do you think in, that's him in the performance or they've somehow enhanced his voice? The diner sequence I was talking about, mm. it, it's combining practical effects, including squibs and air cannons with visual effects created by Industrial Light and Magic, which is George Lucas's company. Sound designer Ben Burt, he created the voice of Dark Overlord by altering Jeffrey Jones' voice as his character transformed. So he is still in there, but they're manipulating, they are manipulating the, the voice. The sound. This sounds like gravel. I mean, two minds about it, because it's extremely cheap. Mm. But I do like the... I'm, I'm a sucker for a practical effect. So just knowing that, okay, so that's how they did it. There's a charm to it. There is. There is. The, the diner scene was probably one of the... It was the, mid, the mid-movie big set piece, wasn't it? The diner scene. Where you've got visual effects coming in. You've got some practical stunts happening. You've got a chopper knife mallet thing. <laughs> yeah, with the sushi. Like, yeah, like, what what's the, the knife called? You know the one I mean. Yeah, yeah the, the, the Japanese chef. He's yeah, got the... Yeah. But the knife's flying around through the air, spinning, he's controlling it with his hands like, you know, the emperor would or something. That's right, yeah. And so you, you got... It's, it's a big piece, so it's introducing some visual effects. And... I'm just looking ahead in my notes here. They did use stop motion effects. 
They did. That's that's how they the achieved end. it. Okay. And the climax as well. Yes, that's, you've got that's like the, the big very bad. apparently stop motion, but fun, cheesy. Yeah, and I like it. And, and the credit there goes to designer Phil Tippett. Yeah, I, again, like practical effects. I'm always going to be a fan of that over CGI. I mean, your big movies, like, you know, we've mentioned Avengers Endgame. You want CGI. But your smaller movies like this, yeah, stop motion or practical effects is, is, the, is the way to go. The soundtrack. I was surprised to find that the film score was written by John Barry of James Bond fame. Okay. What I've read, though, like there's another composer credited, Sylvester Leve. He did the score for Sylvester Stallone's Cobra. He came in and redid a lot of Barry's music, primarily the third act. I did read that, that some of the score was redone. They weren't happy with the original score. Yeah, so they changed it a lot. Apparently, it was too old-fashioned. I do think during the making of this movie, there was that tonal shift. If you go back to Howard in the comics, he's in like a private investigator. So I think they were going for more like a film noir. And you'd go for a classic theme from someone like John Barry. But then when they're actually shooting the movie, I can see why they'd have gone back and had someone else redo the music to make it more family-friendly, whimsical, sci-fi. So I think tonally it did change and they had to change the music to match that. The score, I don't really recall how it, you know, I can't think of it in my, in my head. It how plays it like... A detective score. Okay. Especially where the movie starts in Duckworld. And it does... Because they don't... They purposely don't show you the ducks to begin with. They're showing you a world. And then you'll see Howard come home. And then you get to see that he's a duck. So they try to make it sound like... Just a, you know, a look like a real world. And then you get the ducks and it uh, just goes... It looks like our world. It does. Yeah. Until you start seeing Duck the humanoid ducks. <laughs> Uh, Thomas Dolby wrote the film songs and chose the members of Cherry Bomb. So that was the band that performed with Beverly. Leah Thompson did perform her own singing for the role. She did. They weren't sure if they were going to keep her voice. And they were thinking about overdubbing. But in the end, they felt her performance was strong enough to keep. And again, it matches the movie. It, it's, I think she, she it's does its time. a good enough job. Like, I don't know if she's... like sang in movies tv outside of this but for this movie yeah it works but being being a bit of a, a music fan um, i remember at the time i think it must have been 87 88 after the film had come out i found how the dark soundtrack on vinyl in a clearance bin at 78 records so i bought it because it was like a few bucks and it was pretty terrible out of context from the, <laughs> from the film like, listen yeah. to it as standalone music. It just didn't work. I probably sold it on to another secondhand shop. Oh, so you, mean you were listening to the tracks by Cherry Bomb? Yes. Oh, okay. So yeah. just without the context of seeing the visuals, which maybe make it more palatable, I don't know. But an a interesting tidbit about Cherry Bomb and Leah Thompson and being in the band, she's playing a, a Les Paul Gibson guitar. Right. Quite a, you know, worthwhile guitar to own. Um worth a bit of money she kept the guitar oh cool she still plays it apparently so 
not a bad thing to take from set. I did hear that the final sequence in which Cherry Bomb performs the film's title song was shot in front of a live audience in an auditorium in San Francisco. Real audience, I like that. No, it's quite obvious in the film that it's a real audience. And it was a custom guitar for Howard as well, so yep. he was able to actually play it underneath the costume. Underneath. So the legacy of Howard the Duck. <laughs> like, so, so we talked about the movie, but what did the movie give us? And I was very surprised to find this, that the movie is the only reason Pixar Studios exists. I feel like I'm going to have to sell you on this. No, no, I, I did read. I know where you're going with this. Okay. I, so sell me on it. Okay. I want to hear it. So George Lucas was already in debt at the time, having just spent all of his money on Skywalker Ranch and had to sell some of his assets to stay solvent. One of those assets is newly launched computer animation studio, which he sold to Steve Jobs at Apple, which eventually became Pixar so, Studios. Isn't that insane? I mean, I'm sure Steve Jobs would have found another way to start Pixar. I also read that Steve Jobs paid above market value for the equipment. Like, didn't didn't you know wrought him on the deal because he was you know, needed to sell to stay, as you said, ahead and stay above it. Um, but yeah, I, I think Pixar would have existed in our world no matter what. It it would have, it, you know. Again, like Jobs would have found another way, or mm. but he didn't, and it was Howard the Duck. It was Howard the Duck. Thanks, Howard. What else has Howard given us? In June 2012, the YouTube series Marvel Superheroes What The featured an episode starring Howard the Duck complaining to Marvel that his movie was not given a special Blu-ray re-release to celebrate its 25th anniversary. He eventually gets Joe Quesada to try to appeal to and bribe George Lucas into supporting the re-release. I'll post this on the Facebook page. Okay. So it's just a little, like... It's a, it's like robot chicken style. So it's like with toys. That's how they're animating it. <laughs> I I must admit, I sort of forgot that this movie existed until the cameo at the end of Guardians. Right. And it made me think about this film. I, thought, I remember seeing that when I was a kid. It was, it's kind of a forgettable film. That's the movie with the duck boobs. That's right. That's that one. So I did, after that cameo, track down a copy of Howard and to watch it again after so many years prior to watching it again for this podcast. Oh, wow, really? So I turned it off five minutes in. <laughs> I couldn't finish it. <laughs> so I actually forced myself to watch it this, this um, well, second and a half time oh, well, for the podcast. In a moment, I'll ask you for your rating, then yes. I've got a pretty good idea. Yes. Um, <laughs> just one more thing with the comics writer, Chip Zdarsky, who took on Howard's comics in the, 2010s revealed he was a fan of the movie growing up and had the 2016 run of the title featuring meta-fictional references to the film. The plot had Leah Thompson hiring Howard and discovering the villain Mojo had hypnotised her into playing Beverly opposite an alien in a Howard costume. Okay. So the comic, like the movie, goes in an odd direction. But I talked about the upcoming Hulu show. Like Howard's not going away. He is still going. I think it's. I think his his cult status is more due to the comics than this film. And for me, it's it was pure novelty. Now, admittedly, it was a creative team that had me checking out the comic, but there's just something different because this character, as zany as he is, 
exists alongside the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, the X-Men. And it does it does work. Like in a world where we have Rocket Raccoon, we have- to an extent, Squirrel Girl, that yeah. she communicates with squirrels, it does kind of fit. Oh, we should speak to the downright creepiness of Howard being attracted to Beverly. Oh, yes. There's a couple of... How's that not come up until now? Yet, I mean, they have the scene in the bed where she's strongly coming onto him and then he backs down and then they get interrupted. You've got the silhouette of her about to kiss him. And then later on, where they're in the diner and there's explosions. She's on all fours and she's crawling away and he's... He's behind her, but he's checking out her yeah, ass. And she's like, behind. Howard. Cut it out. Oh, cut it out, Howard. Yep. He's a pervert. Yeah, he is. And it, it is just crazy. Now, on one hand, he's not... I mean, he is a duck, but he's an alien. So it's kind of like a human and an alien. But no, he is a duck. <laughs> I mean, it's literally his name. So you've almost got a, a sexual relationship between a human and a duck in this PG movie. They're not just platonic, are they? It's, there's, there's, a scene, some, there's, there's something there's else something going there. on. There's something there. In, in the diner scene again, when they're roughing Howard up and it looks like they're going to cook him and Beverly gets quite upset and to, to get them to stop, she yells out, he's my boyfriend. And they all just stop and freeze and turn around and one of them just turns around and goes, that's disgusting. And it's like, <laughs> spelling out for what it is. And it, it's a bit, you know, a bit disconcerting. Like, I, I don't know how a kid would react to that today. I don't know. Like whether it would go over their head or they'd be like, that's a bit weird. And they even go as far as let, they let us know when Howard is aroused because his hair on his head sticks up. <laughs> his feathers become I mean, tonally, this movie is just all over the place. But some things that I did know, the guy you were talking about in the diner with the, with the blades... Yes. He was wearing a Raiders of the Lost Ark or Indiana Jones t-shirt. And there's a few George Lucas references in this movie. But you've also got the, the mock posters for movies in Duckworld. And I noted them down here. You have Splash Dance. That's the title spoofing Flash Dance. Yep. Hilarious. <laughs> uh, this is a slightly better one. Breeders of the Lost Stork. Of course, taking on Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, you know, a few nods to George Lucas in there. Do you know what the connective tissue is? It's the screenwriters. That is right. They worked mm. on Temple of Doom. Yes. Which is a great movie. It and then we have fantastic. this movie, which brings us to our rating. Mm. Damien, what do you think? <sighs> I'm coming in really low on this. It's going to be one. One out of five. Whoa. Okay. Honestly, I've just realised that we've been talking about this movie for half an hour. Wow. That is longer than I thought we were going to go. One out of five. Yeah, wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Will we... I'm going to come in a bit little bit higher than a one. That's that's pretty low, but I don't want to get carried away in that. This is a movie that I know I now own as part of my collection and more for the novelty and just to be a completist when it comes to my Marvel movies. I'm glad that I own it, but it's not a movie that I'm going to go back and revisit anytime soon. I'm going to come in with a generous two. Two out of five for Howard the Duck and one, one out of five for yourself. I was initially going to come in at two, but I found myself really struggling to watch it. I wanted to turn it off several times and watch something else. Um, I, I, 
doing the research, coming across articles that say, you know, it, it won a Razzie for the worst film, worst screenplay. Interesting facts is the director, whose name is Willard Huck, it's, it was the last ever theatrical film he directed. Oh, wow. And if you read between the lines, the screenplay written by Willard Huck and Gloria Katz was the last theatrical film screenplay they ever wrote. Oh, wow. So... I did, also, I did read that a lot of the actors yeah. didn't work much soon after this movie was released. It took them a while. Some interesting trivia as well is that um, shortly after the movie was released, Frank Price quit his job at the head of Universal Pictures, the studio that funded the film. Variety reported the story with a headline, Duck Cooks Price's Goose. <laughs> so the film basically put him oh. out of the studio. So three, three people pretty much didn't get work again after... The film, Howard the Duck. And on that bombshell, that's it for our episode <laughs> all about Howard the Duck. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Damien, thanks again for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.